JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. From the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he was on vacation last week, so we missed his expertise. PFF specialist on absolutely everything. It is Brad Spielberger with us. So you, you got a pretty good fight that you saw earlier today. Is that accurate? You got to see a great fight, yeah. There were a couple chippy snaps, a couple late hits, and things of that nature, and then it finally boiled over when Zaire Franklin, I believe it was, uh, hit Kenny Gainwell, the running back for the Eagles, a little bit late. Uh, and Jason Kelsey, uh, you know, came over and, and demolished Zaire Franklin, which led to a benches-clearing brawl, probably 150 guys in the middle of the field. Um, it, it did break up pretty quickly, obviously, with Shane Steichen and Nick Sirianni. There's a lot of mutual respect there. But uh, they called practice early, and I think that may have been a good idea. So did uh, Kelsey cheap shot Franklin? He himself said he did, so uh, I'm comfortable <laughs> saying that. He, uh, yeah, good, okay. <laughs> yeah, he came back out and you know spoke to the media afterwards and said, you know, he's known as a fiery guy and, and a passionate player, but thought you know it was it was no, nothing he's done before in practice. He was ashamed of himself, is what he said. He did call it a cheap shot. Uh, you know, not something he was proud of by any means. I'm Brad Spielberger, a PFF at Colts and Eagles practice earlier today. Before we start in on what you witnessed outside of, of this particular brawl that closed practice today, um, can, can you tell just the eyeball test alone just how much more talent one side has than the other side does in watching this practice today? Sometimes you can. I, I would say with certain position groups you could, and we'll get into it a little bit. I think, you know, the, the, Colts secondary battling with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown uh, certainly went in the Eagles' favor in that regard. And, you know, I think Michael Pittman and, and Alec Pierce and those guys made some plays as well, but just not to the same degree against a pretty talented Eagles secondary. So, yeah, I don't want to say like it was drastic or it was this, you know, massive difference, but, but in, in short, yes, you can. Uh, you know, I went to go see the Giants a couple weeks ago. You know, you, you can tell to a degree kind of where the talent line falls sometimes. And no doubt about that. All right, what, what are some of the things you noticed from a Colts standpoint, both good and bad, that popped for you today? For sure, yeah. So, so I'll start with the positive. The biggest positive, you know, really for me was Juwan Winfrey. And, and I thought he played very well against the Bears this past Saturday. Uh, he was, I don't want to use the word dominant, but he was getting open pretty regularly, making a lot of nice plays, contested catches over the middle, out wide, uh, you know, on, on well-thrown balls, on poorly thrown balls. Um, and he was letting the defense hear it uh, pretty much the entire time, um, was, was really getting after it, being, you know, being passionate, but in a good way, right, in a positive way. Um, he, he really stuck, stuck out in a positive manner. And then for the negative, like I said, there were a bunch of one-on-ones, but also even in 7-on-7 seven seven and 11-on-11, 11 11, where, I mean, A.J. Brown, look, he, he's obviously one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, but 
was basically unguardable. Uh, and if Jalen Hurts or whoever, Marcus Mariota, Tanner McKee, wanted to look his way, he probably was going to come down with it. Uh, Devontae Smith had a couple contested catches, leaping, you know, back shoulder grabs that were, you know, I wouldn't say easy, but it was really him or nobody coming down with it. So I think you just saw a comfort level in Philadelphia throwing on these corners on the outside because they knew it probably was going to be a completion. You make the argument, Brad, at PFF that Philadelphia has the best top to bottom roster in the NFL to start this season. I don't know if I would go that far, certainly in the conversation. Um, but I, I do have some question marks about, you know, look, their secondary, the, the two starting outside corners are great players in Darius Slay and James Bradbury. And they're both coming off of all pro, pro bowl season. But, you know, both 30 plus have been healthy for a very long period of time. The safeties are brand new. Um, you know, some holdovers of the guy like Reed Blankenship coming from last year. The linebacking core is brand new. So, you know, they, they are very good. There's no question about that. But, if I look across the landscape of the NFL, I think a couple AFC teams probably rise above it, um, just have fewer question marks across the entire roster. But, but yeah, they're comfortably in the top three or four teams. It's, uh, Brad Spielberger covers the NFL for Pro Football Focus with us every Tuesday right here on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So we know that Anthony Richardson is going to start a quarterback in that game on Thursday, that final preseason tune-up. Uh, what what are the, uh, the Eagles doing as far as their starters in that game are concerned? Has that been announced yet it has not been announced a good question i would imagine after today we might see some of those guys not play um you know it really was kind of a we've seen in in the past couple weeks other teams where there were some scuffles they then went ahead and didn't really play starters in the game to avoid any any sort of you know altercation things of that nature but the eagles historically really have not cared about the preseason they actually put a lot of weight and stock into these joint practices and then arrest a lot of their starters. So I would be surprised if we saw, you know, Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. I don't think we're going to see those guys. It's uh, Brad Spielberger who's with us. Uh, the, the Colts side of things, and obviously Anthony Richardson, uh, not a lot of history here to go on. I mean, you really just kind of got to watch him in the moment and, you know, size him up where he is and where you expect him to be. What's your thoughts about him being the starter in week number one and moving forward toward that opportunity in the next under a month now, that first game of the regular season? How do you think his response, his reaction is going to be in that first start? Yeah, I was a bit surprised he was named the starter as early as he was. Um, I really just thought with Steichen bringing Gardner Minshew over from Philadelphia that it wasn't a random backup, a random bridge to the future, but a specific guy he had in mind to come in, maybe start for a month, and then hand the torch to Anthony Richardson. But, you know, I like it. I think realistically the easiest way to learn is on the job. His lack of reps is, you know, his biggest weakness or deficiency, and you can't replicate that as much as you'd like to in a practice or, or whether it's a joint practice or not. So might as well throw him into the fire, see what you can get out of him. And I think he's going to respond very well. I, I do. I think he is a very composed guy. You know, in some of the areas where you do have worry about college quarterbacks transitioning, I think he excels at. For example, he does not take a lot of bad sacks, and that'll kill drives. It'll put them in second and long, third and long. It's one of the best skills he has in his entire toolbox is not doing that, either taking off with a scramble or or getting the ball out of his hands. So I think he's going to be fine. I think it's going to be, of course, some growing pains. You'll see some early defenses show him some looks that he's maybe never seen in a live NFL or live football game. Um, but I think he's going to be up for it. I, I really do. Um, so how do you think this Colts team, let's just, again, you're going to have to visualize this on your own. 
But to me, not having Jonathan Taylor, a productive Jonathan Taylor, a healthy Jonathan Taylor, a part of this is going to be so incredibly detrimental to the point in which I don't think right now Colts fans truly understand. But when you look at the rest of that offense from what you saw today and what you expect, how much do you believe the tutelage, the production that Taylor could add to this if he were able to, if the two sides came together, if healthy? How much of this is going to be missing in the growth of this rookie quarterback in Indy? You know, it is a lot. I really would say that because I think it just causes defenses to respect him so much. You'll probably get some more stacked boxes. so You get favorable coverage looks for Anthony Richardson. I also think, you know, using Richardson's legs is a huge part of the equation here. And if you can have, you know, zone read and do different things where defenses are trying to account for, is Richardson going to take off? Is he going to, you know, toss it to Jonathan Taylor? I mean, that's how you truly weaponize that backfield and two of the better athletes with the ball in their hands in the entire NFL. Um, So, yeah, it it is. It's going to be a detriment. I like Evan Hall at Northwestern. He's a good third down back, had some good snaps today. You know, Kenyon Drake, obviously a solid veteran, bounced around. But but those guys are not in the same class as Jonathan Taylor. Uh, And I I do think it is going to kind of hamper his growth a little bit early on. It's Brad Spielberger of PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So what do you think happens? What do you think the market is out there right now? for Jonathan Taylor as his representation is, you know, looking over with a broad stroke, you know, all these so-called opportunities. What do you think that market is? What's his value, especially if if you trade him and what that team's going to have to do to, I imagine, extend him coming off of that trade? Where's that market value right now? Yeah, so that's the thing. You know, even the last answer I just gave, I don't think he gets traded. I think what, what just happened was, Okay, you know what? You and your agent go out there and go ask as many teams as you'd like, hey, if we, if you trade for me, what contract are you then willing to sign me to? And they, they, the Colts' bet is every team is going to say, hey, look, you're a great player. We'd love to have you. But if we have to give up you know, a single first-round pick or maybe two second-round picks that equates to a first-round pick, then we're not going to be willing to sign you to X-level deal. Um, I mean, look, the market's terrible. I mean, the running back market is the worst it's probably ever been in the history of the sport. We are at an inflection point, maybe, but I don't even know if we've hit rock bottom yet. But, you know, 27-year-old players like Dalvin Cook are signing one-year $7 million deals for half that money's tied to him being on the active roster. You know, he could make almost nothing uh, depending on, you know, certain circumstances. So, that's the thing. I think that the, it's them calling their bluff is my read of the situation, saying, you think we're playing hardball, you think we're being unfair, go find someone else who's going to pay you the deal you want on top of the draft picks. You know, good luck to you. I don't think the team is out there that's willing to do that. All right. Look at Miami. Like, what would happen if a healthy Jonathan Taylor were were traded there? It, it, is that the highest level of interest you'd think a team may have is in South Florida looking at those possible services of Jonathan Taylor? That is the only team that I've been given direct information is, is a team that is interested in this market, right, that, that has been willing to reach out and have some conversation. So, yeah, I would, I would assume it's the highest because it's the only one that I know, you know, for a fact has had a couple conversations with uh, their representation. Look, I, I think he would go to Miami and be incredible. And their offense, with all the speed they have with Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill on the outside, with Mike McDaniel and their ability to scheme up these runs and get their guys free rushing lanes, I think he'd have a phenomenal season – but again, you go back to, look, that is one of the more expensive rosters in the entire NFL. They haven't had draft picks for years. 
and still don't have a couple of their picks going forward. Is that team going to give up two second round picks and then give Jonathan Taylor, you know, four years, 60 million, whatever. I just, it, it's just very, very, very hard for me to envision that happening. All right. So it has been suggested the Colts won a first rounder in return. And, and you and I both know there's no way in hell's half acre that's ever going to happen. What is the reasonable return if the Colts were to trade him right now? Yeah, so the thing I've gotten to, and there's a ton of risk associated with this idea, but essentially if another team thinks they are, Miami's a good example, that thinks they're close to a Super Bowl, thinks a couple more pieces could get them over the hump, That instead, and this also depends on Jonathan Taylor's willingness to do this, but for them to say, hey, look, we want to bring you in, we actually don't want to sign you to an extension right away, what we're thinking is, we bring you in, you have a great year, we take care of you, yada, yada, and then you go sign elsewhere and we get a compensatory pick back. So, you know, I'm wondering if that is a solution some teams think is viable. And in that scenario, you know, for a running back, even if he has a great season, you're looking at a fourth-round compensatory pick in that scenario. So maybe a team says, okay, we'll give up a third and a fourth or, you know, a third and a fifth, whatever, and then get that fourth back in return that, I think, is like the only outcome I can imagine from the other team's perspective, but I don't see the Colts doing, you know, making a trade for anything less than a first or you know, a second plus. I'm talking about reasonable outcomes, too, and you had mentioned you believe that he will stay put here. What's your reasonable outcome for Jonathan Taylor? He playing in week number one here. He on PUP still. Something else transpire. What do you think happens with Jonathan Taylor here in Indy? Yeah, so you know, look, I'm not a doctor, and I don't want to speculate too much on the injury. Obviously, there was supposed to be a timeline where he'd be good by now. You know, who knows what's going on there? But, yeah, if I had to bet on it, my guess would be he is suited up in week one, playing for the Indianapolis Colts, maybe week two. But, yeah, I, I don't see him going elsewhere, and I do not see him actually holding out. It serves him no benefit to hold out. The Colts could then truly play hardball. They could have his contract toll to where he's still in his third season, you know, fourth season next year. Like, it can really get ugly in a hurry um, for the player. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of posturing, a lot of back and forth, and then him and Josh Jacobs will show up, you know, a couple days before week one. See, Shane Steichen said today where you were that Jonathan Taylor has not been medically cleared um, I, and I, all along, I kind of wonder where that is. And I, I know that you, you're not supposed to with the health of somebody or whatever, but I just, I just kind of wonder. It's all this happening at once. And, you know, Jim Mercer said a month ago with Pat McAfee that he was healed. And I know it's Jim Mercer, and you kind of got to take that the way that you take it. But you, you buying that he's still coming back from that ankle injury? You buying that maybe it's something else? How do you feel about this, this situation, you know, internally and what might be going on altogether? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think he would lie about that, especially you know, him in particular. Any player probably wouldn't, but also a guy who, you know, it has historically been one of the most durable running backs in college and the pros to up until last year, obviously, when he missed a little bit of time. So, yeah, look, I get that it's easy to speculate, okay, is he making up injuries or is he exaggerating the severity of the injury because of the contract dispute and, and all those things? But I don't know. I, I personally wouldn't go there. I would believe it. Look, you could say, would he be willing to push through this? If he had a big contract, you know, maybe. But but that's that's the NFL, right? And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people say, okay, well, a guy should play through it. We paid him a lot of money. He should, you know, tough it out, whatever. Well, if he's not paid, he probably shouldn't tough it out. He probably should worry about himself. So I don't want to speculate. I, I, I would imagine sure. – you know, I would imagine they're not making up an injury. Well, I've, I've speculated enough for the both of us, Brad, to be quite yeah. honest with you. Um, you. You think that if they extended him, like tonight, 
You think he'd practice tomorrow? I don't think he practice tomorrow, but I think he would practice before week one. For sure. <laughs> I think he, he, may, he may well practice tomorrow if he was extended tonight. <laughs> hey, what are you writing about? What are you doing for PFF, Brad? I mean, I know you're on vacation, so you got to get that out of your vacation mind and get down to business. What do you got? That's right. Yeah, so I'm going to do a whole write-up. Obviously, we talked about a bunch of it here, but a whole write-up of everything I saw at practice today uh, between the Eagles and the Colts before the, the big scrum. Uh, so check that out at PFF.com. And, and of course, you know, covering everything leading up to week one. There you go. Brad Spielberger every Tuesday from Pro Football Focus right here. And he was kind enough to join us today, fresh off of Colts and Eagles practice that ended abruptly after a brawl. He saw it all and gave us the play-by-play details. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, Brad Spielberger right there. That was good, live from Philly. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Greg Rakestraw is with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. A nice little booth interview in the third quarter with you and Rick of Jim Ursay. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. My part was minimal, but uh, that's come to be expected. Yeah, you let uh, you let Rick go at it. You know what I felt, Greg? I thought that that Jim Irsay either had come to his own conclusion or somebody had like told him, you know, let's not try to make anything more out of this, maybe throw more gas on this particular fire. I thought basically what he told you is what we already knew in a long roundabout way. I thought Jim went uh, out of his way to be very diplomatic about the uh, Jonathan Taylor situation. So there was no gas on the fire. There was nothing incendiary in the slightest. Thought it was very professional uh, how uh, Jim handled that situation on Saturday. Yeah, unfortunately, it's it's too late. I think if you go back to that first tweet that he sent out, um, you know, regarding the CBA, when you know many people thought that he was you know talking about somebody else and not necessarily Jonathan Taylor, but you have to own that. Do you think we're still ultimately in this same spot, or did this all really you know start a fire from that tweet moving forward? Do you still think we're right here at this moment where we are right now, with or without? that i think we're at the exact same spot uh because i again i I think there are two things that are possible here one is that the annapolis colts are are changing how they do business and let's face it one of the criticisms that has been lobbed the colts general direction and chris ballard's direction has been hey you have spent money at positions where you don't typically have to spend money at and if that's going to stop now if you are changing how you do business the unfortunate timing is that stops on the kind of the watch of Jonathan Taylor. Uh, you know, there, 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 there is that, um, you know, that, that, that is a possibility. Um, what has surprised me is the amount of criticism directed back towards the Colts, if that is the case. Like those that have indicated, you guys are just being cheap, or, or why won't you pay this guy? It, don't, don't you actually kind of want the Colts to kind of change the business of, of, of how they're doing things, if how they have been in the recent past has not been good enough? Hasn't this been the group that has not won a division since 2014? Hasn't this been the group that only made the playoffs a couple of times in the last few years and only won a playoff game dating back to 2018? So the fact that maybe they're changing how they do business here should be seen as a good thing. Um, the secondary thing that I, that I would throw out there is this. Again, to me, the contracts or the players that are most applicable 
to JT's situation would be Braden Smith and Shaquille Leonard. Those are guys that were second-round picks heading into their fourth year that got their contracts extended. And if the Colts aren't doing that with Jonathan Taylor again, to me that tells me that there might be something in terms of the injury situation that is causing the Colts to pump the brakes on that. So Both those things yeah. can be true simultaneously, John. Yeah, and and, and that's not one I believe. Um, and again, if I'm proven wrong, I'm proven wrong, and and that's fine. But I, I don't know necessarily if I buy into that one. Here's the other thing, because I brought up in my open regarding, you know, maybe this is all a Ballard led after six years. My plan's not working with non-essential players on this team. Been given extensions, and I'm going to draw the line right here. I mean, maybe it is a new charted course, charted path. However, I would also say you've already screwed up the course so badly, and especially going into this year, um, if if you're going to extend somebody or give somebody more than you deem right now, positionally speaking, they should be requiring, it wouldn't be skimping on that position given your quarterback situation. Because to me, even though you're going in the right direction, to me, that's the wrong decision to make. I would say this too. You're also at a point in time where you can kind of stand on your high ground, so to speak. In other words, you're going through a rebuilding process. You're going through a reloading process. You've got a brand-new head coach. You've got a brand-new quarterback. Is the quarterback helped by Jonathan Taylor being on the field? Absolutely he is. He would be. But at the same time, if you're like, hey, listen, we're, we're going to get everybody here that wants to kind of point the same direction. Um, and, and if you don't think you're going to hurt your overall bottom line in terms of wins and losses because, because of kind of the, the talent that is assembled in the spot that you're at from a timeline standpoint – kind of also understand the ground of, all right, if you don't want to be here, we'll see if we can find a way to to move you elsewhere and, and have everybody going in the same direction here, too. I get that part of it as well. So Greg Rakestraw with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I did want to switch gears, not everything NFL and Colts driven with you right here, because I know a lot of people want to talk about week number one of the high school football schedule. Uh, what'd you get out of that? Any any make as far as what you thought up and down the state of Indiana in terms of the start Friday? You know, Westfield's going to be awfully good. Um, and, again, is New Pal, you know, it, it, maybe their vintage selves? I'm not sure. Um, but I would say, and, and that is the difference in a very good 4A team in New Pal and a very good 6A team in terms of Westfield. You could say something similar in terms of kind of the Noblesville-Mount Vernon game. Um, I wouldn't be sweating Center Grove losing to St. Edward. But at the same time, a major tip of the cap to Ben Davis going to Cincinnati and beating Moeller, and maybe it's Ben Davis that has the best chance of anybody in the state of, of beating Center Grove this year. That game would not happen, I want to say, until the semi-state round of the tournament that those two would then see each other again because they're not going to play in week number four because Ben Davis opted not to play Center Grove because of the ability to play IMG in week number four. But Ben Davis had a huge win. The game that I had in terms of Snyder and Warren Central, Snyder was beyond impressive. And Snyder was a player two away from playing in the state championship in 5A last year, graduated some key pieces, but they were outstanding, especially from the second quarter on uh, against Warren Central, putting up 42 points. And Warren Central's young, but Warren Central likes their pieces and, and kind of likes their future. But Snyder beat them up from the, from the second quarter on of the game that I saw. So... Um, you know, some surprising results, some not so surprising results, 
But those are probably the three or four games that kind of stick out to me from week one. Yeah, I know talking to people from CG, they go over to to uh, Canton, the Hall of Fame, and that St. Edward team out of Cleveland was apparently legit from what everybody tells me. Correct. And, and again, Senator Grove uh, returned so many pieces from last year. I think it's Indiana competition. They're going to be fine. Uh, and there, there's no shame in maybe not playing for a national championship, but playing for a, uh, an IHSAA state championship for a fourth consecutive year. I clearly think that's possible. But at quick glance, in terms of, of their path in the tournament, Ben Davis probably stands as the largest impediment. Um, I, I think there are several quality teams in the northern half of the bracket. Hamilton Southeastern, I think, is really good, and they're really big and physical. Westfield, they've got a pretty special team put together. Um, it, it, maybe it's Carroll uh, that, that, that comes out of 6A like they did last year. And Franklin Central is, is, is getting better quickly under Jason West. Those are all possible postseason opponents for Center Grove. But I think now because of the schedule they play and not having that conference tie, which obviously was the case last year, but playing so few Indiana teams, I think now more than ever, everything for Center Grove and, and, for, and for other schools too is just how are you in week 11? Because that's when the postseason starts, and that's still nine weeks away for Eric Moore State. Uh, he is Greg Rakestraw via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, we are seeing some games postponed because lack of officiating. I say games, maybe it's not plural, but I did see one. I think it's Northview and Terre Haute North postponed Perfect. because of the lack of officials. Uh, what's that situation? How does that stand as far as officials this football season? We have been teetering on that situation in a lot of sports for a while. Um, and really where we have seen it, Baseball, to me, has been the one that, that, that has been noticeable, uh, and, and, it's, and it's not been at the varsity level. It's been more so of, hey, we don't have enough officials to have a JV game. Um, when we, in the last couple of years, have had days where there have been a lot of rainouts and so everything kind of gets pushed back to, like, say, a, a day or two later, maybe you have more varsity games on the schedule than you had originally planned, then some teams are left without, without umpires to have. Um, we've been talking about this for some time, and I've always thought this problem was kind of was going to hit outside of Indianapolis, say more so than the Indy area. So I'm not surprised maybe that it's in Terre Haute. And I do think it's Northview and Terre Haute South, by the way. I think the Northview and Terre Haute North, I think, played this past week, so it's Northview and Terre Haute South coming up in week number six. That game's moved for, moved to the Thursday instead of being a Friday game. But uh, again, I'm 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 surprised, but not. Just because, again, we've, we've kind of seen this problem coming over the last several years. All right, my brother. I appreciate you. Um, you're not doing the game Thursday, right? Is that true? No, right. uh, Al Michaels is getting into my pocket. On yeah, Thursday. way to go, Al. So, like he so, needs it too, uh, brother. Come on. Amazon Prime will have the game, and it is available locally. Um, you know, it's like any other regular season game. I believe that's the case. Um, you know, that, that is an NFL Network game, you know, or any cable game has a chance to be broadcast by a local station. So that is the case, but uh, no me, no Rick, no Lara, at least on the television side of things. All of us go back to radio, those two in Philadelphia as we speak, and uh, as they said in Full Metal Jacket, I'm in the rear with the gear. I'll do the post-game show from here in Indianapolis coming up late night, Thursday night. Oh, that's awesome. All right, and you'll get to call me on Saturday too, right? Exactly, and so I missed Yacht Rock Saturday night, right? That's correct. That's what I missed. You did, but I, I played uh, Dion Warwick's Deja Vu because I had some Deja Vu this morning in the driveway, so I played that as your re-entry, so it's almost like you were there. 
Well, if there was a week that I was going to miss, it's probably Yacht Rock. Oh, come so on, I man. Describe the, no, no, no. no let, me, let me explain. I enjoy Yacht Rock. I'm not sure I enjoy six hours of Yacht Rock. And so I kind of treat Yacht Rock like sushi. It's like a nice appetizer. It, 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 it's a nice, like, side dish. I'm not sure if it's, like, my main course. So if there was a week that I had to call it and miss the show – because, you know, I was literally on the air for like five consecutive hours, I would say, you know, Yacht Rock Saturday is probably the one I needed to miss. It That's sounds okay. like in a roundabout way here, you're trying to describe my Yacht Rock show like it's Jägermeister. <laughs> and I think I, that, I should be pissed I, about I, that. I don't dislike Yacht Rock. It's probably like my, my weakest level of musical knowledge. So, like, I enjoy like a little bit of Yacht Rock mixed in. An entire Saturday night of Yacht Rock. I'm not sure that's my thing, but that's quite all right, John. It's, yeah. it's part of it's why you appeal to everybody. You, a little bit of everything on the show. You know the worst thing ever heard at a bar? What's that? I got the next round of Jaeger. <laughs> For me, I had much more of a problem with Rumplemans. Nothing good ever came. Yeah, but at least you, at least you got well. At least you got good breath. You know what I mean? I mean, with Jaeger, it was it, it, yeah, bad breath, tasted bad. It just was, I don't know why anybody at all chilled. Well, I don't know how you do it warm, but certainly chilled doesn't make it much better. I don't know how people do it. I don't know why. Yeah, I, somehow, I somehow found like a European, I'm assuming it's German, like 200 milliliter shot glass of Jägermeister in a yard of a house that I went to when I was in college. So I actually have like a special affinity for Jägermeister. It's like the alcohol gods gave this to me as a gift my junior year at the University of Indianapolis. Mm, I don't know, man. I think that dude dude on the logo says it all. I mean, that's what that's how you feel I take a shot. It's like, hey, I think I may yak and I'm not even drunk. Wow. All right, brother. I appreciate you as always. Be good.